Welcome to the 32nd edition of the Traveling to Radio Show. I'm your host, Friedel. What does this sound have to do with bicycle touring? Have a good day. You'll find out in just a few minutes. Stay tuned as well for a preview of an interview we have with Heinz Stucke, the world's most traveled man. He has over 600,000 kilometers under his bicycle wheels, and we managed to track him down in Paris last week. That's all coming up in this week's show. couple of weeks around here and first I have to apologize because this show is actually a few days late going up. Between doing my full-time job and then going for a winter bike tour last weekend and doing a whole bunch of interviews for future podcasts, time got away on me a little bit this week and I'm just starting to catch up now. Still, as I say, it's better late than never and I think you're really going to enjoy what's coming up. We are going to be interviewing Melanie. She's an American who cycled the Trans-America Trail last year from Oregon to Virginia And I've got a preview of an interview that I managed to get with possibly the most famous bike tourist in the world, Heinz Stucke. He's resting in Europe over the winter before heading off to North America later this year, and we tracked him down in Paris. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about the winter bike tour that Andrew and I did last week. And Andrew's making a special podcast reappearance to talk about our three-day jaunt, which was around Amsterdam and then to the North Sea coast and back to where we're living at the moment, Den Haag. Andrew, welcome back. Hmm, thank you. Um, yeah, it wasn't as cold as we thought. I mean, we'd been bracing for minus 10, but thankfully it had thawed out a bit. Yeah, we walked out the front door and there wasn't any snow at all, which was in some ways welcome because we were a bit worried about how we were going to sleep at night. But in other ways, it was a bit of a disappointment, really. Yeah, but it was still nice to. There was a bit of uh, cycling in the snow and uh, it was nice, nice to cycle around Amsterdam and out to the dunes. Yeah, the dunes that are near the beach here are really spectacular, and it's uh, one of the great joys of living in Den Haag. So we went camping. It wasn't as cold as we thought, but we were very glad that we had two or three things with us. Do you want to run through some of the things that we enjoyed the most? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Uh, one is the foil mats that we used uh, underneath um, our sleeping bags, and that just reflected the heat back towards us, and it just kept us a little bit warmer than uh, I think our three-season mats would do. Maybe we should describe these mats for people who don't know what we're talking about. They're not an actual sleeping mat on their own. Yeah, they're comprised of um, a little bit of foam and then foil on top of it. Um, it just basically reflects your heat, just like you see when uh, marathon runners uh, finish a race. They, they'll wrap themselves in foil just to keep the heat in. And they're very cheap. I think we pay €2.50 each for ours. And you can get them on Amazon, I saw the other day, for about $4. So... Very, very cheap, and we just put them on top of our Thermarest mats and just gave us that little bit extra insulation that we needed for camping in colder weather when the temperatures are about, what, minus 5 at night? Yeah, when the ground's really cold, I think that you can feel the difference. And then the other thing that we splurged on was a thermos. Yeah, it was great. We had uh, hot water and hot tea or hot, hot chocolate uh, whenever we wanted to, whenever we stopped. 
And there was no fighting about who was going to get out of the tent in the morning and make the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we already had it made. Yeah, so if you're going on a winter bike tour, definitely recommend a thermos. It's just so nice when you stop by the side of the road to have a hot cup of tea, especially if you have to sit there for 15 minutes and fix a flat. Yeah, well, one person fixes a flat and the the other can sip the tea. And then the last thing that we would definitely recommend for a winter bike tour, well... For any bike tour, really, but especially if you think that there's the potential for it to be cold and rainy, waterproof sock. These really keep your feet nice and dry, basically. If you're running around in cleats, uh, you know how the your shoes can some sometimes just leak uh, leak from the bottom and. Uh, it's just a necessity to, to carry around, I think. And if you've never heard of waterproof socks, the brand name that we use and that I think most people use are called seal skins, and they come in a variety of thicknesses. And the thicker ones are really cozy. Yeah, they're really quite warm. I mean, if it even if the sun gets gets out a little bit, sometimes you can almost feel that they're they're too hot. Yeah, they're wonderful. Literally, your shoes can be soaking, and you put these socks on, and you can walk around all day in them and never know that your shoes are wet. So just because of the potential for melting snow and puddles and maybe even rain if the temperature's close to zero, if you're doing a winter tour, waterproof socks are the thing to have. Well, do you think you'd do winter camping again? Yeah, I think I'd give it another shot. It's a, it's a good experience out there, you know. You see the landscape in a different way altogether. And probably like most types of bike touring, the very hardest bit is actually getting out your front door. It sounds a lot worse than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, once you're cycling, yeah, you're always warm. That's great. Well, Andrew, thanks very much for coming back on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. And now, on to something a bit warmer. Last year, Melanie Ryback rode her bike across the United States on what is often called the greatest route across America, the Trans-America Trail. It was established in 1976 by the Adventure Cycling Association, and it takes you across landmarks like the Rocky Mountains, Yellowstone National Park, and the Mississippi River, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean in Virginia. I started the interview by asking Melanie to tell us what she expected to discover before she started the journey. I didn't really know what to expect. I just figured it would be like the whole trip would be like Kansas or something. I, you know, I knew I was going to bike across the Rockies, but I didn't really understand what that means. I mean, you know, I'm from South Florida, where it's flat, and I live in the Netherlands, which is flat. So when I got, you know, on day one to some of these big hills that they have along the Oregon coast, I was just like, oh my God, what is this? (laughs) 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 I, you know, wound up doing, I think around 60 miles on day one, but uh, at the end I was just like, (laughs) <laughs> I got to the restaurant at the end of the day and I was like, oh my God, what am did I you getting think myself at the end of into? that first day? Did you think, I'm just going home? I mean, this is no, too much? A, no, no, not at all. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I just figured that, you know, I'll just go nice and slow and I'll get there eventually. <laughs> I mean, the nice thing was I didn't actually have a deadline. A lot of people who do the Trans Am ride are students that have to be back to start classes at a certain time. So, But I was uh, it was quite nice that my uh, job had let me off the hook and basically I had as long as I uh, wanted. So I figured, well, you know, it's day one. Of course, it's going <laughs> to be scary. <laughs> so all of, all of week one was just like, frightening <laughs> and then finally after that i got got the hang of pills <laughs> so. you got into a little bit of a rhythm after that <laughs> yeah you know and then by the end i mean you, you see something that's like you know 10 percent, and you're like is oh <laughs> is there something here yeah <laughs> sort of by the end you're just so used to riding hills that the, you don't well, i won't say you don't notice it anymore but it's certainly but by the end you can you can bike anything
thing. But uh, but yeah, it took about a week to get into it. <laughs> were there any other big challenges that you remember those first few weeks or, or days that you really had to learn to cope with? Well, I mean, you know, I'd only set up my tent once before, you know, <laughs> when I started the trip. So, you know, you sort of have to kind of figure that one out. And things like laundry. I mean, you know, I had asked some people here in, in Amsterdam if they had any tips about how to do laundry on the road. And, and, and they laughed at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> What did they tell you? Did they have any tips or they just laughed? No, they just laughed. <laughs> so, <laughs> and sort of by the end, I mean, I defend my position. You know, doing laundry on the road is a pain in the butt sometimes. <laughs> how did you do it? Did you go to a laundromat or did you wash it out in the sink at night? Or? Um, I wound up not, yeah. I, what's sink? <laughs> you know, you don't, I wound up going to laundromats uh, most of the time. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, I just discovered, you know, bring enough pairs of socks and underwear because everything else you can reuse. But as long as you have socks and underwear, then, you, then you're cool. <laughs> so. well, that's interesting because I've talked to a lot of cyclists who go by the three pairs of each. I think most uh, real cyclists would probably bring three pairs of, uh, of everything and uh, my tactic was more, uh, you didn't need really more than two pairs of, uh, of uh, what you had. So basically, uh, two pairs of bike shorts and uh, two pairs of uh, sleeveless uh, bike jerseys. But then I would have 20 pairs of socks and underwear because you can always reuse everything else, but not the socks and underwear. <laughs> they weigh almost nothing, so why not, you know? <laughs> And did you use the technique of um, putting the dirty underwear on the top of your panniers so that your bike doesn't get stolen? Or if anyone looks inside your panniers, they no longer want to steal them? <laughs> Considering some of the areas I was crossing through, one never knows. But uh... <laughs> I know it's very hard to summarize a big trip mm-hmm. across a country as big as the United States. Mm-hmm. But if you look back on it, what do you think some of the highlights are for you? Without a doubt, the people. <laughs> uh, there were uh, a number of people. Well, I mean, they're... Are, well, people always speak about Trail Angels, and the, the Trans Am Trail is no uh, no exception. It has a number of them. The Cookie Lady is the most famous one. Well, she is in uh, located in uh, Virginia, uh, very close uh, to, to the end of the trail. And, uh, of course, the big attraction with uh, the Cookie Lady, other than the fact she's been hosting bikers for almost, uh, well, probably more than 30 years. Uh, she also has... Uh, a part of her house set up as a bike museum. So every uh, biker that uh, stays there, uh, well, not everyone, but uh, many of them decide to uh, leave something, uh, some article of clothing or some kind of memento that they might have picked up along the way, uh, just as a a kind of recognition of their having been there, which means that there's just an astounding collection of um, cycling memorabilia (laughs) uh, from the past 30 years. So uh, I uh, also decided to make my own contribution to the uh, to the bike museum, and I uh, at one point had uh, picked up a pair of fuzzy dice that uh, <laughs> were hanging from my handlebars <laughs> with a suitable amount of road grime. So I decided to donate those uh, <laughs> to the bike museum without washing them first. Which I, oh, of course, <laughs> <laughs> they had to look authentic from a bike trip across America. <laughs> Yeah, so so that was the cookie lady, and that was amazing. Another one of the favorite people that I stopped by is um, also a, a trail angel, although I have to say that she hasn't had quite as many uh, cyclists in recent days, but her her name is uh, Yodeling Katie, <laughs> Yodeling Katie Lopeman, and she's in Chanute, uh, uh, Kansas. And she is just absolutely amazing. So you show up, and she spent about an hour serenading me on her ukulele, (laughs) which was just fantastic. 
Uh, <laughs> is she a good yodeler? Is it? Oh, she. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's good as in the eye of the beholder, right? Well, I, I mean, it was sort of go very wrong or no. Be it was. Good, but. I was. I was thoroughly enchanted. You know, enchanted by her yodeling. So, but you know, I'm, I'm easy. So, <laughs> but uh, no, it was. It was fantastic. And she even has, you know, these songs like you know, get up, you lazy cyclist, and you know. <laughs> Has she been inspired by someone who stayed too long at her place? <laughs> or was that a subtle hint to you to get out early yeah. the next morning? <laughs> but she's, she's just an amazing person. She, uh, now in this point, I believe is in, in her early 80s. So, <laughs> uh, And she's also, I mean, been hosting uh, basically seven, since, uh, I guess, 76 when the uh, Trans Am Trail uh, first opened. She's been hosting cyclists and... Uh, and, ser- and serenading them. Uh, but she also makes uh, baked goods, uh, which she sells and then donates to various charities. And that's her uh, sort of her day job <laughs> now that she's <laughs> in her early 80s, I guess. But, How do you find these people? Or did they find you? So um, the cookie lady is sort of well-known by mm, everybody. So, I mean, she was actually labeled on our uh, adventure cycling maps. <laughs> I mean, the, the only individual, I think, that is actually on there. Yodeling Katie, I found out, I was using a uh, a book, basically, Cycling Across America, uh, this guide, and, and the, they had basically mentioned Yodeling Katie, so, but uh, most people actually that do the trail don't use that particular book anymore, so actually when I uh, had finally gotten there, I think, it's probably, probably been about a, a, since a year since I think uh, a cyclist before me had uh, had come by, since she wasn't listed on this uh, adventure cycling maps anymore. No, but it was just very, uh, very special. And a lot of other people you meet along the way. I mean, you meet some people just by pure coincidence. I mean, other people you just get in touch with along the roadside or people that happen to be eating at the same restaurant when you're having dinner. You You were telling me that you have a very special technique for deciding how you might stay with someone for a night if you have to actually ask someone for a space <laughs> yeah. to stay if you're going along and you can't find a place to put your tent or yeah so yeah the, towards the end of the night i mean if you really get stuck and sometimes you know the sun is going down and you really do kind of get stuck of course the last resort is always to start knocking on doors and be like you know hi i'm melanie i'm the female alone you know who's cycling you know and of course once they see you then yeah you get adopted uh, relatively quickly but um yeah so you were asking me before what uh, how would you choose a house uh, you know whose door to knock on and my usual technique for that was looking for one of several things uh one of which was the presence of garden gnomes <laughs> Um, but also uh, any kind of implements of religion where you usually also <laughs> a decent sign and other kinds of uh, sort of tacky wooden carvings out front. So, uh, and, gen- that, and that always worked for you? You never had a bad experience knocking on someone's door and asking to stay the night? Uh, no, I mean, they were usually, you know, surprised to see you there. But, uh, but you know, generally, especially if you hit sort of the over 50 set, uh, then they realize that, oh, my God, you could be my daughter, you know. And, uh, and there's the usual sequence of things that, you know, you, uh, you, you just knock on the door and say, you know, I would very much like to put up, pitch my tent in your yard. But that's, you know, slowly evolves to, you know, oh, uh, by the way, you know, would you like to also take a shower here? Oh, okay. Oh, by the way, you know, you could also, if you like, instead of sleeping in the backyard, you want to you sleep in our garage. Oh, just warmer there. Oh, by the way, would you like breakfast the next morning? <laughs> you know how these things go. So. <laughs> what do you think was your best day on the road? Is there one day that stands out for you where you look back and think, wow, that was a great day? Well, I mean, it's just hard to say because, I mean, I had a lot of days that I enjoyed, but 
just for very different reasons. I mean, the terrain was very diverse. The people that I met <laughs> were very diverse, so it's actually hard to pinpoint uh, any one thing that I would have to say was the <laughs> was the best. <laughs> one moment, maybe? Once again, the people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and was there any time where you really weren't enjoying yourself? Maybe where something slightly scary happened or just unpleasant or... Well, if, you, if you're having mechanical problems with your bike, then it's a little bit of a bummer. <laughs> and I had uh, a couple occasions uh, where the uh, headset on my bicycle uh, was breaking. I would attempt to uh, stand up uh, during some of the climbs, and uh, my bike, which I'd bought, you know, secondhand for 300 euros from a friend of mine, <laughs> wasn't always up to the task. <laughs> so uh, so then I'll be sort of, you know, in the middle of God knows where, you know, two-day bike ride away from a bike shop, and, you know, <laughs> and I have this bike that, like, wants to steer properly. So, But, you know, you improvise, and even if there's no bike shop around, you can usually, you know, go to the local farmer, and, you know, as long as he knows how to fix his tractor, he probably knows how to fix your bike, too. So <laughs> You never had to hitch a lift, then, because you were stranded somewhere with your broken-down bike? You know, my trip was short enough that I was uh, sort of principled about, I uh, know I'm going to uh, bicycle every, uh, every millimeter, so... Uh, <laughs> So I, yeah, at no point uh, had actually. But, I mean, it was a short enough trip that uh, it wasn't really necessary. So if you had to give a piece of advice to someone who was going to do the same thing as you next year, what would you tell them? Leap before you look. Don't think too much. Just do it. <laughs> I mean, because, uh, I mean, the hardest part, I think, about this bike trip was just uh, putting my life on hold to do it. <laughs> and I didn't, like I said before, uh, before this interview, I didn't even believe that I was going to do this trip until I was almost finished with it. <laughs> like, I didn't even believe I was going to, it hadn't even hit me that I'd left for the trip already <laughs> until I was a week from finishing. So it's just, you know, I mean... Uh, Life is what happens when you're making other plans. So just, uh, you know, try to just go and do it. And uh, really, I mean, just the hardest part was just starting. Once you start, then uh, everything else will happen. That's great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Sure. Thanks to Melanie for sharing her tales of the Transamerica Trail with us. Now, do you remember Melanie mentioning how she was serenaded by Yodeling Katie? And do you remember that mystery sound at the beginning of the show? By now, you've probably put two and two together. Here's Yodeling Katie singing to a cyclist crossing the Transamerica Trail. Yodeling Katie. And that recording was done by Nick, who rode across the Transamerica in 2002. You can find his trip journals on a website called www.iowni.com. And now I've got a special treat for you, one that I didn't expect to have at all this week. I was just surfing the internet when I came across an update on Heinz Stucke. If you're into bike touring at all, of course you know who Heinz is. He left his home in Germany in the 60s, and he's been bike touring ever since. He just hasn't stopped. He's covered about 600,000 kilometers, and it's absolutely phenomenal. So I was surfing the web this week, and I came across an update on his travels from another Japanese cyclist. And through a series of emails, I ended up with Heinz's phone number, because he's been staying at an apartment in Paris for the last little while. So I thought, well, 
I've got absolutely nothing to lose. Why not call him and see if he's willing to talk? And being the wonderful person that he is, Heinz was very much willing to do an interview. It's going to take me a little while to edit it down and get it ready for a podcast. But in the meantime, I wanted to share a little snippet with you. And in the course of his tour, Heinz has had his bike stolen six times. And this is the start of a story where he describes how his bike was stolen in Siberia. I could see out of the window. I could see the bicycle on the post that had leaned it against. I was looking for batteries. But it was during the time when the big shops in Russia, they had just divided into tiny little kiosks that where, where everybody sort of sold what he had to sell. And I, I couldn't immediately find the batteries. And so I went from one kiosk to another inside the shop. And I had a glance out of the window, the bicycle was there. The next glance out of the window, the bicycle wasn't there, you know. And so I raced outside the door and, and I took the wrong turn. I, t- I went left instead of right. The, the thief had ridden the bicycle away uh, and had taken the wrong turn. And then I did go right. And then a, a group of policemen came down the road and asked about this bicycle. And, and you know, they more or less understood what I said. And they said, yeah, yeah, they'd seen somebody riding up the road. And a youngster who was very wobbly, you know, and of course he disappeared. The police, we went back, back to the police station. We drove around all the, the, the blocks in the area there. The bike disappeared, you know. Heinz Stucker. You'll hear the rest of that interview and the end of the story in a future podcast. Well, that's it for this week. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Do send us your comments. They're always welcome. Our email is us at traveling2.com or you can use the contact form on the site. 